In Matthew 6, chapter 1, Jesus gives us a principle that's meant to govern our spiritual formation. And it comes to us in the form of a warning. He says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There is a very bad reason for pursuing spiritual growth. A dangerous one. According to Jesus, it's possible to be a spiritual person for the sole reason that you might impress other people. Have you ever given financially to someone? Maybe to an organization, maybe to this church. And maybe you've done so anonymously. But somehow, some way, somebody knows, somebody has found out. Have you offered your time to somebody in need? And while you're doing that, some pictures get taken and they find their way on to Instagram. Have you ever found yourself quite happy that your anonymous giving has gone public? Have you ever prayed in a group? Maybe a Bible study, a missional community, maybe around the table with some friends. And as you're praying, you're more aware of everybody listening to you pray than you are about the fact that you're talking to God. Subsequent to those prayers, have you ever later on reviewed your prayers, feeling quite impressed or quite embarrassed about what you said? Have you ever fasted? Have you ever denied yourself some pleasure and then smugly compared yourself to those who you deem less spiritual than yourself? Do you dominate the conversation in Bible study? Do you enjoy Bible flexing on people? Do you enjoy showing how much you know about obscure characters in the Bible like Dude, Jephthah. Right? Just meditating on that brother, man. Lots to learn from him. Lots to learn from Jephthah. Whoa. How about this? Do you ever come to church just to make somebody happy? Do you act like a Christian just to keep your parents off your back? Do you come to church just because you think, maybe if I do, my wife will stop nagging me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Sure you do. I know that you do. If you've been a Christian for more than two days, you know what I'm talking about. You've done these things. You've been tempted to do them. So have I. Jesus says, friends, beware of this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. The hard truth that we have to acknowledge here is that our sin travels with us into the even most devoted acts that we perform. The good things that we do, our spiritual actions, sin is right there. We subtly make it all about ourselves. 
We pray and hope that other people will think as highly about our praying as we do. We give for our own recognition. We fast and then we elevate ourselves as the elite Christians. And so Jesus says, beware of this. So while we're on the topic of spiritual formation, he'll ask us again, why are you doing what you're doing? What is the reward that you're hoping to gain? You see, we all have some Pharisee in us. All of us do. We love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. When we do what we do to impress others, Jesus says that's the best you're ever going to get. The fickle praise of man. Their fleeting high opinion of you. That's it. That's what you get. That's your reward. And you'll forfeit the true reward. It's helpful to think about what we're really after when we're trying to impress others. What are we seeking when we do this? In its purest form, I think it's acceptance. We want to be seen. We want affirmation. We want love. I think those things are impulses that are given to us by God. There's a reason why children thrive when they strive for and receive these things from loving parents. So often as humans, we are looking for all the right things in all the wrong places. For the Christian, the acceptance and the affirmation and the love that we long for, our Father in heaven has gladly given it to us. Forgetting that or belittling that, we go looking for it elsewhere. And so Jesus warns us, stop looking for what you already have. If our real reason for spiritual formation is our own reputation, if the reward that we seek is the praise of others, then thank God for Matthew 6.1. Jesus offers us a better way. He offers us a better way. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to God by a certain title, and we see it again in this verse. He calls God Father. Embedded in this title is the true reason for living the Christian life. God is our Father. We must constantly come back to this if we are going to make progress in our spiritual lives. We have to come back to the new birth. Jesus said that you must be born again. We are all born once into Adam, into sin. We are all born children of the devil, Jesus said. We need a new birth. We need a new family. We need a new father. We need to be born again into Christ. And so I ask you, have you ever experienced this? 
Have you come to God as Father through the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sin and acknowledged before God that you need his forgiveness? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again for you? Do you have the Holy Spirit living within you? Friends, this is the reason we pursue spiritual formation. You wouldn't otherwise. It's got nothing to do with you primarily. It's about what God has done in you. That's why we pursue what we pursue. God has become our Father. He has made us His children. I'm really giving thought to this. I've really been thinking a lot about this. Why do I do what I do? Is it just because I'm a pastor? Is the church just my tribe? Is this just the most familiar way of life to me, the life I've become accustomed to as a Christian? Do I do what I do just to fit the mold? To play the role? To merely practice my righteousness before men? How about you? J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, encourages Christians to repeat something daily, and it's become something of a mantra that I often start my day with. This is what keeps this issue before me. Why do I do what I do? I'm a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Jesus is my elder brother, my Savior, my Master, my friend. His Holy Spirit lives within me. And I offer to God this simple prayer, Father, Son, and Spirit, fill me with the fullness of God. I live for you. This is the reason we do what we do. By the grace of God, we are his children. And what is our reward? God has told us. When he called Abraham, he said, Abram, do not fear. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. When we give to those in need, we join with God in his joyful generosity. We see clearly his provision for us. When we pray, we spend time with the Father who loves us, and we get a foretaste of what it's going to be like to live in his home forever. When we fast, we see we're really not giving up, but gaining. We have less of the world and more of God. So brothers and sisters, in the coming weeks as we talk about spiritual formation, let's start here. The reason we do so is that we are God's children. The reward we seek is Him. He is our very great reward. So as the band returns, let's just take a few minutes to quietly reflect, and then we'll worship together. Uh, a passage from Luke chapter 12 
starting in 53. Well, actually 54. What's happening here is that this is one of those mega events where thousands and thousands of people are coming to hear Jesus speak. I have to go back like 10 pages to get to the beginning of the chapter. Um, The chapter begins this way. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. This is like one of those rock... Uh, Woodstock, yeah, one of those like concert catastrophes that you hear about and read about. You're thinking, oh, I would never want to be anywhere near there. This is Times Square gone bad on New Year's Eve. Thousands of people trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's a reason why I wanted to read that to you. And he goes on through this chapter, and I will admit, he drops into sections I'd rather open to you, but honestly, I felt, I tried to get out of this sense of constraint by the Holy Spirit so we could study the passages like, do not be anxious. But I felt like a dog in the backyard attached to the stake in the ground. I could only go so far. And it was futile, uh, I felt, unless I, and I wanted to, listen to the Lord and trust that he has a purpose for us opening up something different. goes on to talk about staying dressed for action. Keep your lamps ready. You don't know the hour the master of the house is coming. You don't know when the thief is coming. Bear in mind, this is Jesus teaching this. So he can't be talking about the coming we're aware of, right? Because because he's already there. He's already here. He can only be talking about when he comes again. And in fact, that is exactly what he's talking about. He has some other things to say which are extremely difficult, personally, I find, uh, to read. And when I have read them in the past, I kind of like blank out. I really don't remember them. They wouldn't be any fun to preach on. I'm not preaching on them today, but can I read you just an example of where he goes? Bear in mind, this isn't some private chat that's taking place. Again, crowds of thousands trampling one another. And he is telling a large group of people things like, verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth. And would that it were already kindled. This is meek and mild. This is, this is Jesus meek and mild speaking. What's going on here? I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress 
until it is accomplished. And he's thinking, of course, about taking on for us our sin and receiving the just and justice of his Father in our place. So remember, he said to his disciples, hey, beware the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. All right? Just telling you right now because I'm about to launch into why we're all here. And then he gets to this interesting section, verse 54. <clears throat> the title over my brand new Bible is, he also said to the crowds, or is interpreting the time. Verse 54, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, man, there's going to be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. Don't, don't understand. He's speaking to the thousands. But... His target at that moment are the, the Pharisees, the leaders in Israel. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Oh, Lord, feed us from your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. So he's not tongue-lashing the crowd here. Back in that day, the, no Israelite had a gigundo Bible like I do. The word wasn't available to them. They relied on their leaders but the leadership of Israel had become perversely corrupt. And they delighted in enslaving the people in fear and leading them astray. Jesus is saying, hey, you're, you're great at weather forecasting. And really, who isn't all over the world? Go out. I said to my wife yesterday, I had to run an errand. I came back and I said, it feels like snow. There's no snow in the forecast. It feels like snow. We know these things from living on the earth. Everybody perceives things like this. I used to hike a lot when I was much younger. And it was important to be able to get some clues so you had some idea of what was going on. And it's not hard to do. But what they couldn't do is understand. The Pharisees could not understand. This Messiah that had been prophesied time and time and time again, not by a single prophet, but by nearly all the prophets, was standing in front of them. And Mr. Oh, I think it's going to rain today. Couldn't see that.
big fail at forecasting and recognizing Israel's Messiah. Micah wrote about it. It's in Numbers, Daniel, the Psalms, Isaiah, Zechariah, and many more. Not everybody missed it. Remember Anna and Simeon? They didn't miss it. Praise the Lord. Even Herod, King Herod, who it's unclear whether he was truly a Jew, but he, he identified as a Jew. He claimed to be a Jew. And when the Magi came and said, hey, uh, they expected he would, surely he'll know. Hey, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? He was immediately seized with fear that someone was going to come and take away his position, his place, his authority, his rule, his power, and then, of course, his money, which is tied to it. He took seriously the arrival of the coming king. The Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, the one that should have been, that should have been gathering thousands, saying, he's here, he's here, he's here. They missed it. They didn't only miss it. They hated him, the scripture says. The elders of Israel and the political leaders were focused on the coming king to once and forever bring a military victory, governmental peace, prosperity, and prominence to national Israel. Now, all of those things are prophesied to happen, but they haven't happened yet. So, in a sense, as a, just as a man, I can get it. Their political history is horrendous. They were always being taken captive, brought out of their homeland, enslaved. You know that from your own reading of the Word. Time and time and time again. Tragically, 40 years after the ascension of Christ, Rome is going to devastate Israel. And just as Jesus prophesied, not one stone would be left on top of the other. They're going to be starved out and any surviving men would be killed and the women would be taken as slaves. So brutal. So in light of that, I, I get it. As a dad, as a father, now as a grandfather, I get it. Hey, I, I think what we need, we need somebody, we need big guns here. We need to cast this off, this Roman rule. And anyone else that tries to enslave us again, I, I get it. I do. They were looking at their circumstances, but hypocrisy affected their forecasting. See, really, I don't think anyone imagined the prophets certainly foretold, but I'm not sure that anyone really got it. I'm quite confident I wouldn't have gotten it had I lived then, that the coming Messiah would come to fulfill the law and set in place again, not the keeping of the commandments, but the covenant of grace. 
Well, you might think to yourself, yeah, fine, but what about, what about these brutal Romans? They're literally killing us. Yeah. The answer to that would, is longer than we're going to be able to explore this morning. But part of it is because their greatest need at the time was to be forgiven of their sin and to be made righteous in God's sight. Jesus, born in a manger, basically a nondescript guy, nondescript, simple, humble, obscure upbringing, wasn't fitting the bill what they thought their greatest need was. They were looking for an Arnold Schwarzenegger, not a Jesus of Nazareth. They were looking for Navy SEALs. They didn't perceive their spiritual need or God's plan of rescue in their day. They were expecting the king to come. Clearly, they were expecting the king to come. But when Christ did not align with their expectations, then they began to ask this question, and you'll see it commonly in the Gospels. Maybe he's Elijah. Are you Elijah? Even his disciples, when he said to them, hey, who do people say I am? Some say you're Elijah. Because in the closing of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi said that in the the day of the Lord, God would send again the prophet Malachi. They didn't understand there were two comings. They didn't understand before God judges the world, he would come first to forgive their and bear their sin. So that when he judges the world, there could be a way of escape. They didn't know that. They didn't get that. The prophets foretold it. But their circumstances fogged their ability to forecast. It affected their expectations. And we have to be careful as his coming once again draws near, that the same thing does not happen to us. And we have to guard our hearts and not be Monday morning quarterbacks as we absorb the history of God with his people. After all, John the Baptist did not fully understand. Somebody might object immediately and say, wait a minute. Didn't John the Baptist, when he was baptizing and saw Jesus approach, say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, that, I mean, that was a bullseye, John. You are exactly right. So why, why didn't he finally fully get it? Because when he was just days away from his execution in Herod's prison dungeon, soon to be beheaded. His disciples came to pay him a visit, and he said, look, get to Jesus. 
Because I got a question. Ask them. Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect another? What was happening? What was happening? What, what was happening? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now, he wonders, is that the one, the Messiah, forecasted by the prophets? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus answers them in an interesting way, but we won't be looking at that at this moment. He's not the only one who got the forecast wrong. See, John's circumstances affected his ability to forecast. It was clearer when he was free and outdoors doing what God had called him to do. But as he realized, I'm about to draw my last breath very soon, he was fraught with question. This didn't, what's this all about? This didn't turn out the way I thought. Go ask him for me. I got to know before I go. You're the one. John's not the only one that had questions like that. And I mean, honestly, don't we sometimes have questions like that too? Yeah, don't beat yourself up about that. We're living in a fallen world. Jesus' mothers and brothers missed it by a wide mile. I don't have time to treat this like I would really enjoy treating it. Uh, But in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, did I mark that in this enormous thing? I I don't think I did. Yeah, I didn't. His mother and his brothers thought that he had lost his mind because he had pulled away and organized his group of disciples. And I think his mothers and brothers, who were kind of like nervously watching and tolerating what was happening with Jesus. And now Mary had the word of the Lord given to her, right? You're going to think somebody is anchored in the ground, immovable. Wouldn't it be her? She takes her other sons. When they find out Jesus is now, he's gathering these other guys to him. And the guys he's gathering are not impressive. All right? This isn't SEAL Team 6, folks. And so they're kind of nervously going, you know. (laughs) And the scripture says they go to take charge of him because they thought he was mad. They thought he was mad. Mary thought he was mad. Let that sink in. You have doubts sometimes? I do. Don't beat yourself up over it. Jesus answered famously, and this was 
This must have been cold water in the face. Hey, your mother and brothers are outside. I don't know whether they threw in. They think you're like mad. But Jesus answered, who, who are my mother and my brothers? Ow. Ow. How about his own disciples? They finally get through three years with Jesus, his arrest, his crucifixion, his resurrection, 40 days of fellowship after the resurrection. The scripture says that in addition to his resurrection, to demonstrate in Jerusalem that he has the power over life and death. 500 people were also resurrected. Now they, they also had to die again. But what he was trying to say is that you know, there's a, things are different now. Things are changed because of my coming. So they went through all that. And now here they are waiting for Jesus to ascend, and they have this last moment. Last moment! And basically they say, we have one more question before you go. The question is, will at this time you restore the kingdom to Israel. They wanted to know because the prophets, the prophets had said when the Messiah comes, yeah, he's going to be a suffering servant. He's going to be wounded for our transgressions. He's going to be pierced for our iniquities. He's also going to be like a rod of iron that breaks like pottery shelves. And Jesus didn't say, now why don't you stop asking me those questions? Why, why don't we stop talking about things like this? He didn't say that. He just said, it's not for you to know. He did not say he's not going to restore Israel in the way the prophet said. He just said, the time of that is not for you to know. What's the point? The point is we are to be watchful for his return. There is a part two. The part two is going to be very different than the part one. The part two is not going to be obscure baby born in a manger. The Christmas cards, if there would be any, on sale in heaven now to commemorate the second coming would look vastly different than the ones we sent and received just a few weeks ago. Peter, while he was about to die, and writing his last letter, was burdened for the church, and wrote this. 
This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's where the world sleeps today. And some of the church is snoring loudly. For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of those, the world, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to promise, fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, slow, slowness, I'm sorry, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in, in lives of holiness and godliness, wait for and hastening the day of his coming, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. If you're like me, I, I don't remember the burning up and dissolving and fiery things. If you've ever done the Bible in a year thing, you're not three months later hearkening, but I'm not. Maybe you are. If you are, wonderful. Those aren't the, that's, none of these verses are on my refrigerator magnets. None. I just, I mean, there's being anxious for nothing. Because I need to be reminded of that all the time. Because I grow anxious. Because I'm a man living in the fallen world who sometimes has challenges with faith, like you. Don't beat yourself up for that. He is coming again. And the Lord insists that we become like weather forecasters. So let us not worry about the nightly news. Let us not worry about seismic cultural shifts. Let us not fear these things. Let us instead, as we would if we were analyzing clouds, say, oh, this makes, this makes perfect sense because the Lord's returning. Do we have leaders who are disappointing us and corrupt? Yeah, all over the world. That's the way the Lord judges the nations. He is coming 
to judge the nations. He came already with the covenant of grace to save. And see, that's why we bring the words of life to a dying world. Let's pray. Lord, we want by your Holy Spirit to not not fail to bring words of life to a dying world, but Lord, even to bring them to our own hearts. Lord, help us to look forward to your coming without fear. Lord, help us to be able to read a newspaper, Lord, read news websites, Lord, and not walk away anxious and distraught. Lord, help us to live in a culture that is so radically changing so quickly that it's head spinning without becoming dizzy and thrown off balance. Lord, help us to look to you in the same way we would look to the clouds to know what is coming next and soon. In Jesus' name, amen.